So before I introduce Jay, I want to make an announcement that after the reception, we're coming back up here at 11 o'clock, and Jay will be available to, to really dive deeper and talk to you and answer questions and talk more about his book and more about happiness and how it relates to you personally. So I really recommend you come back up here. Uh, it'll be facilitated by Michelle. It's going to be really beautiful up here at 11 after the reception. So Jay Kumar, PhD, your happiness professor, is a renowned public speaker and thought leader whose expertise spans brain science, behavioral health, economics, politics, culture, and religion. He holds a master's degree in international political economy from Columbia's University School of International and Public Affairs. Over the years, Dr. Jay has shared his powerful insights and proven strategies for happiness with hundreds of university students, thousands of radio listeners, and vast audiences throughout the U.S. and international. He is also the author of Brain, Body, and Being, and is frequently featured in media stories revealing how to overcome life's challenges and how to tap into the inner power and innate potential for your happy brain. In my testimonial in his latest book, I state that perhaps one of the most important questions he poses is, what is happiness to you? Answering that question gives you a running start in discovering the secret of your happy brain that he relays in his book. Dr. J has a Rumi quote in his introduction, which is one of my favorites. The wound is the place where light enters. Dr. J. Thank you so Welcome. much. Thank you very much. Well, thank you all for this beautiful uh, invitation to be here. And I want to say first thanks to Greg, everyone uh, here at the Aspen Chapel, to Lexi, to the Aspen Center for Living Peace, and everyone who's made this possible. But mostly, I really want to thank you for being here this morning. Um, as Lexi mentioned, uh, I have a very strong academic background, but I'll share with you my personal story as to how I got to become the Haps professor, and it really has nothing to do with my academics. Uh, as Lexi mentioned, you know, um, had a very uh, driven uh, education, you went to the right schools, got the right GPA, right resumes, etc. But all of that miserably failed to help me face the most difficult traumatic experience of my life. At the age of 27, in the summer of finishing my first year of graduate school at UCLA, I received a call a Monday evening in July of 1994 from my father, informing me that my mother had just died from suicide. So all of my academic training, all of my professional um, you know, qualifications didn't mean anything. In, in, in the face of utter grief and utter uh, devastation of the loss of my mother, specifically to, uh, to, to, to uh, uh, a death by suicide. Um, I say this because there is, in my belief, not just someone who studies and investigates the science of, of a happy brain. I really investigate, I think, you know, maybe for this audience, I think the title of the book can be Science of the Happy, science of the happy Spirits. Science of the happy soul. Is that really what I, that's really what I was seeking, that sense of comfort, that sense of how can I overcome this deep and profound sense of loss that I've experienced in my life. And so 
I'll share with you um, um, uh, something that I find to be very interesting that many of you hopefully might also uh, find to be um, of, 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 of value. The, 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 the ancient Greek word uh, psyche or suke in the ancient Greek, many of us, you know, in the, in the word psychology or psychiatrist, many, kind of, many of us, I think, have, tend, have come to interpret this word psyche as mind. But to the ancient Greeks, psyche meant soul. So a psychologist is one who studies the soul. A psychiatrist is a healer of the soul. And so this is what spirituality and religion does. As, as Le Alexi uh, um, uh, uh, and I met at Chapman University, and I've just been uh, very grateful to have been uh, given a new appointment there, uh, the Director of Contemplative Practices and Well-Being at Chapman University. And so I find that we are fundamentally, as human beings, driven by a deeper calling. And I, I say this because all the, ancient spiritual, all the ancient spiritual wisdom traditions understood the power of the spirit, the, the power of the soul. There are many words and many languages to talk about this, but there's some divine, innate spiritual essence that we all carry within us. Um, one of the courses I teach, as Lexi mentions, the happiness course, but another course I teach is science and religion. I like to see where, where the integration of science and spirituality really intersect and the value it has for society. And one thing that I share with my students in that class on the very first day is that we humans are fundamentally meaning-making creatures, or meaning-seeking creatures, meaning-seeking creatures. We seek meaning in our lives, even in the face of tragedy and, and obstacles and grief. This is where we as human beings, I think, excel at more so than any other creatures. We, we always want to find that deeper sense of meaning in our life. And this really, I think, for me, is my personal story, how grief and suffering have a very integral role in our happiness. I think our society, especially in our um, hedonistic, pleasure-seeking society, we have, we tend to have a great amount of fear or resistance, probably is a better word, against pain. Whether it's physical pain, the first thing we want to do is maybe just medicate it and, ignore, and, and try to bypass it. I think the same is also true for our spiritual pain or existential pain. I think we, as a society, have forgotten the value that spiritual or existential pain can actually give to us. Raise your hand here if any of you have ever broken a bone in your body, okay? Raise your hand if any of you have ever had the flu. <laughs> yeah, it went to Colorado pretty almost do. Well, there's a really interesting, study, I study science, I study the brain, I study the, our brain, body, and being. And as you, most, as you might know, if you uh, have a flu, uh, your body will create a resistance to that virus in the future. We've also studied biologically, if you break a bone, when that bone mends, it becomes stronger. The same analogy can be used for our spiritual, emotional, psychological, existential struggles. I cannot be standing here with, in front of you all here today without the grief and the utter suffering that I experienced 25 years ago, my mother's suicide. It was, you know, we talk about in many traditions the, the word calling. Uh, I never knew this would be my calling 
to speak around the world talking about how we can experience a sense of deeper happiness, a deeper sense of meaning. And in many ways, as Lexi mentioned, when we met at Chapman last year, uh, she said, you, gotta, you have to come and speak at the Aspen Chapel. I said, I'd love to come speak here and be part of the Aspen uh, Center for Living, uh, for Living Peace. And then, and then it kind of morphed into this larger, wonderful week-long uh, a series of speaking engagements uh, at the high school, at YPO, at Explorer Booksellers. But this, for me, in many ways, is the most significant and meaningful of my talks because I'm not really talking about the brain science as much as I am here but really about my own experience and how I came to uh, uh, embrace my own suffering and, 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 and ultimately my own happiness. Uh, I know I think there's a, um, uh, I know on the, on the, on the uh, paper, the handout today, I think it's that the Thomas Jefferson quote uh, from, from the Constitution of the United States, all men are endowed with the equal ability for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'll share with you something that's in the book as well. Uh, it's in, the, I think, chapter one of the book. Thomas Jefferson, when he wrote, or the founding fathers and founding mothers, when they were uh, developing American democracy and they were trying to, you know, uh, this was an experiment, uh, uh, American democracy in the early, in the late 1700s. And one thing that Thomas Jefferson, uh, he, he, re, he wrote and rewrote the Declaration of Independence several times. And in, in, in the earlier versions of the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson left out the word pursuit. It was just life, liberty, and happiness. But then Thomas Jefferson ultimately decided he needed to put in the word pursuit of, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So I say this because happiness is not a promise. Happiness is a practice. We have to practice it. And this is where spirituality and religion offer a profound vehicle for making that possible. You know, I can talk all day long, which I do in lecture about the brain science, but as I reveal in the book, I'm trying to um, expose a more holistic understanding of both pain and suffering and trauma and what happiness is. And this new model that I reveal in the book is looking at trauma and pain, but also healing in a biological psychological, social, and spiritual lens. I think it's that the last part, the spiritual, which really I think is the emphasis and focus for today. So I'll share with you, I think, a nice analogy since we're here in Colorado um, uh, amidst the mountains. And this is, this is something I actually read uh, someplace else. This is, this, is, this is adapted from something else. I'm not taking credit for this as being my own. Um, society, and this relates to my story as well. Society told me when I was growing up that happiness was externally based. So get the right, go the right, get the right, G, get a high GPA. You know, I did all that in high school, you know, president of National Honor Society, most likely to succeed, blah, 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 blah. Went to the top 20 university, got into a master's, at, you know, at Ivy League school, et cetera, et cetera. But this is something I think that all of us need to really understand is that society tells us that success and happiness come from external um, goals. So the, the analogy I use is it's like trying to um, uh, climb to the top of the mountain. You know, being here in Colorado, I think it's a, it's a wonderful metaphor to, use, to, to say that. Society says, get to the pinnacle of the mountain and you'll be happy. 
But many of us who, try, who, who achieve and get to the summit of this mountain don't achieve happiness. We don't experience it because there's something deeper. And for those of us, I think many of you in this room, I think, would, would qualify for that, myself included. We, we get to the top of the first mountain that society says, when you get to the summit of the first of this mountain, you will be happy. But many of us peer off into distance and see there's a second mountain, which is even taller and more magnificent and more beautiful than the first mountain. But in order to get to that second mountain, which is the true calling of our, you know, of, of, our, of, our, of our happiness, we have to traverse through the valley. And this is the valley of darkness that, that so many spiritual traditions have taught, whether it's the, uh, in the Christian tradition, the Buddhist tradition, the Islamic tradition, the Jewish, the, the, the Jewish tradition. Every, every, every spiritual figure has had to undergo the, the walk into the darkness, uh, the walk into the valley, if you will. And it's through the suffering, it's through the grief that we attain and arrive at the second mountain. So what is the second mountain? This is the second mountain of our true spirit. This is the, sec- the, the pinnacle of the second mountain isn't about finding happiness in the external world. It's finding that happiness and, and, and that blessedness, as, as we talk about in the Beatitudes, in the internal, that sense of finding meaning in our life, that sense of finding purpose, finding our core values and living them in authenticity and compassion and kindness into the world. It's, I, I always say the first mountain is about the me, the second mountain is about the we. It's about us. Who are we as, uh, as a species, as a humanity? How can I help my fellow humankind in the world. So I feel very strongly that in order to get to that second mountain, uh, and I'm not saying that I've reached the summit of that mountain yet, but I'm getting there. I think all of us are in some way. As I like to say, happiness is not a destination, it's a direction. So most of us find that sense of calling, that sense of feeling um, driven to something beyond just our, our, our individual life, a calling perhaps that is in service to others, which all the religious spiritual traditions have talked about. Our true happiness comes knowing that our life is, uh, uh, we, live, we, we leave a legacy in the world. And that legacy can be our children, it can be being writing a book. <laughs> it can be uh, uh, doing something simple as um, expressing more kindness into the world. But ultimately, I find that happiness for me isn't so much about the, uh, the, the accumulation of material possessions. It's about finding that sense of what brings me meaning in my life. What brings that see that they do present a purpose? And so I like to say, I like to actually quote to you something, if I may, from, uh, from, from my book. And uh, Lexi uh, uh, was really uh, kind enough to quote this um, <clears throat> quote by Rumi, uh, which I'll, I'll, re- I'll like to say it again because it is, it is in my uh, opinion, also um, one of my favorite quotes as well. And um, it comes from the introduction of the book. The wound is the place where the light enters you. 
And it really is. You know, I never could have thought in the moment, uh, in, in the wake of my mother's suicide, that such a deep and profound, you know, heartbreaking, traumatic wound would be an opportunity for the light of grace to come through, for that light of spirit, the light of, uh, the light of compassion to come through. I never was, I, I, I truly believe that I could not be standing here today without having traversed through that valley of suffering, that valley of darkness, that valley of pain. And for those of you who know Carl Jung, uh, the psychologist, he believes that our greatest uh, purpose in life is to experience a sense of wholeness, to experience that deep and profound sense of integration of the spirits on all levels of our being. But in order to do that, we have to embrace the shadow. We have to embrace the darkness. Sometimes what you call a God, universe, spirit, says, knowing that this is something that you have chosen, that this path towards wholeness, sometimes we don't know the means in which the, the path to wholeness manifests. In the moment, we can never truly understand the, the, the ways in which um, God or spirit drives us towards that sense of wholeness. But in retrospect, we can see this. And so there's another quote I'd like for you. Actually, there's, there's one more um, uh, um, quote I want you to, uh, just to maybe share with you because I think it's also very uh, valuable um, uh, for this, um, uh, this talk today. How many of you here have heard of Parker Palmer? Quite a few of you have. So he's a Christian, I think he's a Quaker, uh, Quaker author and a spiritual figure. And he has a beautiful, wonderful quote that I want to share with you because I think it really, for me, helped me understand the true nature of grief and suffering. And he quotes to say, the human soul doesn't want to be advised or fixed or saved. It simply wants to be witnessed, to be seen, heard, and companioned exactly as it is. So I think this really, for me, embodies how I have come to be uh, the person I am today, but also to understand that sometimes we can't always fix our pain. We can't, there's no quick cure sometimes, even fixing other people's pain and suffering. But there's one gift that we can do that is the most powerful uh, form of healing, and that is to simply witness and just be present. The strongest words you can ever say to someone undergoing grief or tragedy is not, I'm sorry for you, it's I'm here for you. And it's in that vein that all of us are, can be here for each other. You know, all of us are, uh, I know very clearly that uh, uh, Aspen and uh, this area has um, uh, ravished by a lot of suicide and mental illness, mental, uh, itch, mental health uh, issues. So sometimes you just don't know, you know what we can do. But the most powerful gift I think that God gives us uh, as humans is simply to, to know that we are there for others or, or to have others know that we are here for them as well. That is the power of, of healing in many ways. So um, I know we have a lot to share after uh, our break.
So I think maybe as one way of perhaps ending today's um, uh, talk today is to share with you another beautiful quote that I feel uh, I think is, is very valuable for us. And this is a quote from, the th from a 13th century um, Buddhist monk called Nichiren from the Japanese Buddhist uh, tradition. And it says, if one lights a fire for others, it will also brighten one's own way. Sometimes we need to understand that we have that light within us, even if it's something that can be dampened or maybe in, in, uh, veiled by all the suffering and tragedy and trauma. But as I like to say, never be afraid to let your light shine forth fully and brightly because the world would be a much dimmer place without you in it. Together, all of our light can become a beacon to illuminate humanity into a brighter future. So thank you very much. Short and sweet. Thank you so much. We look forward to being with you after the break uh, as well, back up here. Uh, very grateful. And I might mention, want to thank all the people who are live streaming uh, with us today. And uh, there we are at this place uh, during the offering. And as you have heard, that, that uh, material things and, and money is not the answer to happiness. So we, you can give some of that away now to the <laughs> chapel because it will make the chapel a lot happier. Uh, Obviously, that's very, it is very true, money, but, but we still need to exist uh, as well. So it does play a role. We thank you for your gifts and offering. And you know, I'm going to take a little risk here. Um, the chapel makes a big difference in people's lives. Um, we hear stories of it over and over again, and that's why our giving uh, to this whole in this community makes such a, a major difference. Um, Uh, Michael and Elaine Bonds have a daughter uh, who was our, part of our Tuesday schools, and Elaine was directing it, Liana Bonds. <laughs> she, she sent an email saying, her spiritual journey began here at the chapel. It's made a big difference in her life. So she pursued it when she went, not only your daughter, but Leanne went to Chapman as well and took a course from Dr. Kumar, all this full circle. And do you know, do you remember Leanna Bonds? Yes, very well. Well, she started here and she thanked us for our journey here. And now she pursued it at Chapman with you. And she's very grateful. And I hope you're listening online uh, as well. Leanna, thank you. Thank you for your gifts. <laughs>